This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the Center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. There was a time when the U.S. federal government was at the leading edge of technological innovation. But federal agencies have fallen so far behind that they will have to work aggressively just to catch up with basic private sector practices. In fact, inertia has long plagued government IT, slowing modernization and preventing the federal government from achieving IT advances and efficiencies that are commonplace in the private sector. However, things are beginning to change. New legislation, funding opportunities, and technologies are here to turn the tide. Cybersecurity, data management, infrastructure improvements, and advanced analytics are critical to the federal government's IT vision. Federal agencies will have to pursue decades-long data and IT modernization plans so that government services meet the expectations citizens have come to recognize and expect from government tech experiences. What are the U.S. federal government's IT modernization priorities? How can the U.S. federal government IT community work to drive good government through technology? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Suzette Kent, Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Lisa Muscola. Suzette, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Lisa, always good to have you back. Love to be back. So let's get some context before we delve into specific initiatives. What's the mission of the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, and how does the management and budget sides of OMB work to support the president's agenda? It's a good question. So, um, I, And I'm, I'm part of the management, management side. side. So uh, the Office of Management and Budget is really the team that looks after the budget, the technology, the procurement, and the people to align with the administration's priorities. And so, obviously, um, development and execution of the budget is very important. And, and what's really um, integral to that is that the individuals work so closely with the agencies. And on the management side, we do the same thing from a technology perspective, the people perspective, um, how we procure and the processes and priorities of the administration. That's wonderful. So, you know, uh, transitioning to your specific roles, what's the duty of the federal CIO, Chief Information Officer? And perhaps you could tell us about your portfolio. The official duty of, mm -hmm. of the federal CIO is actually development of policy for use of technology across all the federal civilian agencies and oversight on what outcomes are actually achieved in accordance with those policies. Um, but I like to, to really think about myself and my team as the enabler of the federal agencies. So what we should be doing is building policy that helps agencies 
use the best of what is available from a technology capability standpoint, um, mature business processes, leverage industry best practices, and ensure that there aren't barriers in the end-to-end process, which you know, that's where I partner with my um, other M-side team members from procurement and people enablement uh, to ensure that we can deliver on the technology agenda for the federal agency. So those currency um, modernization, currency of technology, modernization, and enablement of the workforce are the high priorities on my agenda. So how have you found the melding of the things that you learned, right? We all learn lessons the hard way and some the easy way. How have you, how have you been able to meld the lessons that you learned in the private sector with the complex environment that is the public sector, right? Too many people we see who come in from the private sector into the public sector sort of flame out and don't make it. How do you put those lessons together? That is, that's a great question. I actually had uh, some conversations with others along, along those same lines. I'll go back to talking a little bit about the experience question that you asked me. Many of the, the technology challenges are very similar. How do we move from antiquated systems to modern technologies? How do we do that in a very large, geographically dispersed organization, um, a very complex organization? How do we lay a vision and a path forward in an environment where there's many, many different stakeholders um, with complex sets of views? So the technology and some of the vendors are very similar. The uh, coming from private sector and having actually delivered in these types of environments, and particularly with some of the new and emerging technologies, delivering shared services, moving uh, clients to cloud, and and having been there in many cases for multiple years, um, digitization of of paper processes, and really being in a digital customer service environment, those are that's the environment in which I operated. So those things feel very natural. What the learning curve has been for me has been how some of the um, financial flows mm-hmm. work sure. and the process for how investments are managed. And actually, when, when you're acting with urgency around technology activities, but the urgency in how funding happens and how the, the yeah. pace of a political environment, that's been the learning curve. And that's been the place where I've had to lean very heavily on some of the experts on my team who understand how that process works. But it's a great combination because part of my mandate is saying, why are we doing it this way? Why? And can we do it faster? And can we do it differently? And do we have the opportunity to do that now with either change of guidance or regulation and things that, you know, policy that my office can do or in working with our partners in Congress? Yeah, the federal budget process is certainly a challenge for folks <laughs> to come from the private sector. But, you know, I was remiss. I meant to ask you earlier about, and you kind of hinted at it. I was wondering if you wanted to elaborate. What are some of the top challenges you're facing in your current role? Uh, I did kind of touch on one of them, um, pace Mm -hmm. and the ability, particularly in the cyberspace and technology modernization and then our people challenges, we have to move very, very quickly. And we're operating in an environment that is not operationally set up to do that. I was very glad to come into the government at the time when the MGT Act created the working capital funds and the technology modernization fund so that the ability for an agency to have multi-year money for a large-scale transformation and to leverage their own savings for ongoing enhancements, those things felt a lot more like um, private sector enablement. It's also a motivating factor um, for agencies. 
operating and working with the Technology Modernization Fund gives us the ability to um, shorten the time between having a great idea Mm -hmm. and actually getting that idea out and seeing the early returns. Um, So it's working in exactly the way Congress envisioned. And the you know, and when I say urgency as well, that's one of the, the policy areas where I'm most focused. Many of the policies were more than a decade old. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've been very focused on and brought a lot of urgency to is updating all of those policies. And we have four of the major ones out. We have one more um, of the major ones to go. And we will be at a place where all the major components of policy have not only been brought to at least current, without wanting some protocols for keeping them current. So it, it's hard to use modern technology when you have a policy that's a decade old. And so shortening the time, if I boiled it down to a single statement, um, focusing on the right priorities, so cybersecurity, modernization, workforce enablement, and then laying the foundation with data, those priorities, and then urgency around how we're attacking each one of those, but still using a risk-based framework with the agencies because they can't do everything at one time. You know, there's a question I always ask our guests, and it was one I reintroduced to the set, and it's about leadership. Given your private sector experience and now your public sector uh, service, in your mind, from your vantage point, what makes an effective leader? What are some of the characteristics? That That's a question that I I think about, um, and and I've thought about it in exactly the way that um, you phrased it is what what was effective in private yeah. sector, and what's the same and what is different in um, public sector. Some of the some same things, you know, the the depth of subject matter skills, um, listening, mm-hmm. the commitment to understanding exactly what the business is about, and listening to the constituents that you're serving, and the leadership as you're defining the vision. Um, those are very common. Those are the same. And attention to customer service. Um, that's one of the things I will say as both a citizen and in this particular role, I've, we, have a, we have a long way to go um, in the federal government side and coming out of private sector. Deep attention to customer service was so important. So when I think about leadership in the federal government space, um, the communication with that broad group of stakeholders takes a different approach. Mm-hmm. It's much broader and there's more disparate interests than, say, in a corporate world where you're talking to stakeholders, you know, the, uh, shareholders and, you know, and, and you're motivated by a smaller number of things. There's a broader set of motivations, yes. um, as well as clarity of the vision and how to execute on that vision. Um, again, more complex operating environment. And what what I have observed and what we've seen with some of the policy updates is that sometimes when people hit a barrier, that stops progress. Yeah. And so clarity of, of how defining not only where we're going, but the steps of how you get there and how we overcome the barriers takes a different level of intensity and support. What are the U.S. federal government's IT modernization priorities? We will ask the federal CIO, Suzette Kent, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How do you realize the promise of data-driven government? What do chief data officers actually do? How can they help government agencies use data to inform decision-making? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Jane Wiseman, author of the IBM Center Report, Data-Driven Government, The Role of Chief Data Officers. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, Mondays at 11 a.m. on Federal News Network.
The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Suzette Kent, Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget. Also joining us from IBM is Lisa Muscola. So, Suzette, um, I would like you to delve a little bit deeper into the federal IT strategic vision. What are your key priorities, or what are the administration's key priorities around federal IT? So the key priorities are largely laid out in the president's management agenda. And I'm, I'm going to start with that, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper sure. on a, a couple of the ones that are very focused around the technology actions that we're taking at agencies. So, you know, the PMA had three main tenets for serving of mission, improving service and customer service, and then development of our workforce. Those are the, the top elements. But to achieve that... The approach that we're taking is technology modernization, which includes all of our cybersecurity, um, a specific focus on data accountability and transparency and how we use data as a strategic asset and become a, a data-driven government, and then um, our workforce and the investments that we make in the workforce. And it's important that those things all move together. And some of the policy updates and other things that I've talked about, some of the key things that we've done is ensure that all the components of the wheel move at the same time. So as I'm moving to a new technology, it's a critical commitment that I am investing in my workforce to build those skills. And as I think about different ways that we are using data, that we build the controls and we build the data scientists and the data labelers and those skills right along with it. So if I take those and I, and I pull it down a little bit more in the IT modernization area, it's many of the policy updates that we talked about. Mm -hmm. How are we using cloud? I mean, we've, we've had a cloud-first policy for more than a decade. We moved that to cloud-smart so that we can take advantage of enhanced capabilities of markets being able to deliver. It is more there's, – there's more but it's more complex. Mm -hmm. So the security and the procurement processes had to go along with that. Cybersecurity is an every single day priority. And it's part of the modernization agenda because modern technology is easier to protect. And a lot of our cyber energy is spent protecting systems that are very, very old and very difficult to protect. So as we modernize those, our you know threat surface and our security environment can actually improve. And then on the data side, not only using data for what we're doing now, but laying a long-term foundation for the way that we use advanced technologies and balancing protection and privacy with transparency and availability of data. Those are some very robust debates. <laughs> and those have been, you know, great discussions as you think about everything from geospatial to healthcare to transportation to operational data, there's different views and, um, you know, different 
protocols that need to go around those. And then I spend a lot of time on workforce development. Workforce underpins all of these other areas. When we think about technology modernization, some of the barriers have been that we didn't have the individuals who understood some of the newer technologies. So we weren't moving fast enough, or sometimes we would not even um, fully utilize what we bought. We'd buy, you know, a capability that could do 10 things and we'd use two um, because those are the skills that we had. So we're making investments there in the cybersecurity space. I, I know it's, you know, very well known that we have many gaps and the industry itself cannot fill all of the needs. And, you know, we're part of that. So we're looking at creative ways, both bringing people in from current areas into cybersecurity, developing our existing workforce, creating uh, broader mobility, creating changes in the reward system. So things that bolster the workforce in that area and then building skills in the data spaces. We have many agencies that actually have very limited um, data skills and data capabilities. Mm So that's a a long, you know, kind of top line mission service stewardship and and being effective uh, at how we use taxpayer dollars driven by technology modernization, how we use data um, investments in the workforce, and then tactically driving each of those down to individual. There's some other very specific goals for how we achieve this. So the federal government spends, you know, $80 billion a year on IT. Something like 70% of that is on O&M. Mm-hmm. So you've hit on this a little bit, but, but tell us about your thinking around how how we can sort of reduce that 70% when we're talking about legacy systems and actually be able to spend more money on the future technology upskill in the workforce. How do you think about um, the antiquated systems and moving forward from them? A couple of different things. So a a kind of normal, very healthy private sector practice that we are strongly encouraging and, in fact, supporting with any agency is doing an application rationalization, sitting down and looking at your entire application suite and identifying what can I automate, what can go to the cloud, how can I get it there, where are my risks, and what maybe do I not even need anymore? And we've actually found that. Um, some of the agencies where where we've gone through that disciplined process you know, they we may actually find that 30 or 40 percent that's or 30 percent, you know, that's sitting in the environment. We can actually do differently or bring in you know to something else. We're also that also gives us a very clear, realistic picture of what can we move to cloud and what's the right sequence and then have a risk based approach to what moves when. Again, what many of the agencies have to do is very daunting and they can't do everything at one time. They have to make choices and choices based on risk or service or mission. Uh, Achievement of the mission is kind of how we have to prioritize those different things. We're also trying to do things, and I mentioned the technology, uh, the CIO Council before. Through the CIO Council, we're looking at common problems and doing pilots and investments so that we learn how to and we learn the way so that we can replicate that much faster across federal agencies and be able to accelerate. We've done that with cloud email. Um, We have done that. We're in the process of doing that with a couple of other things right now. And we're going to continue that. We've standardized some jobs, particularly the um, CISO handbook 
so that we're all doing it the same way, so that we can actually move through the sets of objectives that we have in, in a common manner. And then I mentioned the Technology Modernization Fund um, before. That's another way where the board is enabled to fund certain initiatives that have very clear returns. They're achieving some area of modernization, whether it's data center, whether that's um, moving off of antiquated systems, development of shared services, different types of things like that. But the projects that the board looks at um, that, that are exciting and that they have funded have an all-of-government benefit. So there are things that the outcomes and the lessons learned and the path that that particular agency goes through with that initiative can be shared and, and more broadly leveraged. So we're trying to define a path and have direct support. Um, we're investing in other areas where we know there isn't a path yet, and, and we're collectively kind of looking in in the Petri dish um, trying to see, you know, the best way to do it. And then we're using other creative funding tools and mechanisms to support agencies' individual journeys. So it sounds like the Technology Modernization Fund is actually doing the job it was set up to do. Anything you do differently around the fund, just given the experience that you've had? That's a great question. Um, you know, we hope that, that it is, you know, continually funded. We I was actually really excited that one of the agencies came back from going through the Technology Modernization Fund process. So the process, it, it actually includes, you know, the purpose and the definition of not only what you're doing, but when benefits come back, how, what that repayment looks like. It brings the technology, um, the service team, and the CFO together. The CFO actually has to be part of the sign-off and how the benefits recognition is going to happen. And it's caused people to think about projects and actually stage and sequence them differently. And even when we fund a project, they don't get all the money in the beginning. They get tranches of money as deliverables and outcomes are produced mm -hmm. and certain certain sets of things. So those have all been very, very positive. I, I think the one thing that we challenge ourselves on the board and with the um, GSA PMO team is how do we continue to move more quickly? Um, we've had over 40 proposals come in. If we added them up, it would be more than $400 million right. that were requested to get through that. And, you know, the board is composed of people who have day jobs. <laughs> and we spent, we take a lot of their hours during the week to ensure that we get that broad perspective. And we're looking for ways that we can move more quickly. And it's also easier for an agency to submit a process. So we're going to continue to finesse the process, but the purpose is working. We're getting great uh, feedback on the experiences. The first set of funded projects actually just came in recently and did their updates on where they are, making good progress. And we are looking forward to continuing that and taking the things that we can share and starting to disseminate those. Well, Suzette, you mentioned you, you've gone from cloud first to cloud smart. Mm -hmm. I'd like to, uh, given that the show is really an informational educational opportunity, I'd like to talk a little bit about the differences between the first and the smart strategies. Mm -hmm. How does the cloud smart approach, which is the current administration's approach, accelerate the migration and use of cloud across the federal enterprise? That is the Perfect question because it goes with the, the, the mainstays of what we started with in the strategy. We we started with why not? Why? So so let me say one thing very specifically. We're not backing off of the fact of why not cloud, cloud first, yes. right? The commitment to we should be looking at this first. 
Why haven't agencies moved? And what have been the barriers? So some of the other things that are in the um, cloud smart strategy are ways to evaluate the right solution Mm -hmm. and depth now based on experience, based on early movers, based on maturity of the industry. How do I get to the right um, approach for solutions? As cloud, when we wrote that first policy, when the federal government wrote that first policy, that was the early days of cloud technology as well. So the services were a lot more simple. So now there's a much broader breadth of services. So making the decision about what is fit for purpose, what is the right fit for the purpose I'm trying to achieve is a more complicated um, set of decisions. So what's in the policy supports some of that decision-making, poses and helps tee up those key questions. Um, It also includes the critical elements of security, procurement, and workforce enablement. What we also found when we went out to many of the agencies is, yeah, they, they, they bought some cloud technology, but then they didn't know what to do with it. They couldn't, they couldn't fully leverage what they bought themselves because they hadn't made the commensurate investment with how they skill their people. So we've actually put requirements in the policy that during a transformation project, there has to be specific commitments to workforce and enablement. The other reason for that is so that we're ensuring that the federal workforce can sustain the solutions that we're putting in place and that we can move quickly. You know, I talked about moving quickly and and security, but as you move to a a cloud environment, if we haven't made that investment in understanding the security environment and our people, we're not in a place to continue to understand, you know, what that means to move quickly, to put the right sets of um, controls in place. And the other part of it that I'm very excited about is there are components of it that we link and aligned with other policies, and we've set out timelines for when those things should be continuously updated. Being so close with the vendor community and having conversations with the vendor community, um, we want to enable agencies to use the best of what the vendor community can offer and, and put put the decisions around serving mission in the hands of the agencies, but all the choices on the table. And so that's one of the parts of the the policy that I was very excited about is we've got a commitment to keeping it current going forward, which is going to better enable agencies to take advantage of what's on the market um, that can be powerful for them. You know, speaking of enabling agencies, I was wondering what what role, or maybe perhaps you could elaborate on the role shared services, solutions, and models play in your pursuit for uh, IT modernization? I, I certainly can. And when we were talking about background, um, I didn't spend a lot of time on shared services, but I spent a lot of time on shared services, <laughs> um, and, uh, both personally as a business owner um, in an organization, as well as um, in the consulting environment, helping businesses actually do that globally. So when I think about shared services in the federal government space, I marry it with back to the mission of technology modernization and actually being effective stewards of taxpayer money. And I marry it to technology modernization First, because some of the systems that we're targeting or some of their business, you know, operations applications, some of those are some of the oldest across the entire federal government. So it's an opportunity to build it once and use it many times. The second thing, when I think about effective stewardship of taxpayer money, when 
we identify areas where 85 to 90 percent of the functionality in the business process is common across agencies and we go buy it over and over and over and over again, that's that that's not fulfilling mm. the goal of being effective stewards of taxpayer money. So I'll use the example right now of what's going on with payroll and the new pay uh, situation. We're at about 90 percent of agencies agreeing on common functions through a very robust defined business process standards um, setting set of activities, but we made it there. So now we have opportunity as we go forward and agencies, you know, new capabilities are are needed to move into an environment where we're leveraging a, a common solution. And what is different about the approach we're taking for shared services now with this strategy is we're not just saying a common software platform, right? We did that for travel. We had a common software platform for travel, told agencies, here it is, go implement it. We now have 42 versions implemented. So we can't do some things in a common way. So what we're saying is there's there's technology, there's services, there's operations support, there's multiple solution sets. We're defining it in a way where it's a shared solution suite and not saying that every agency has to do exactly the same thing, but they're operating in the same parameters, you know, across that suite of services, and we're achieving common business outcomes. You don't have to get to the outcome the same way, but we're all focused on achieving that same business outcome. And so having watched organizations go through their shared services journey, it is difficult. And it is, there, there are a lot of challenges, um, but as we come out the other end, we are going to have systems that are we're able to maintain, we're able to move much more quickly because now we're not asking 24 agencies to do updates and enhancements at the same time. We're asking you know a small group to do it for the benefit of every single agency. And when you talk about what that looks like from a financial perspective and the savings for taxpayers, yeah. that's really exciting. How can the U.S. federal IT community work together to drive good government through technology? We will ask the federal CIO, Suzette Kent, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Suzette Kent, Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget. Also joining us from IBM is Lisa Muscola, 
So tell us a little bit about some of the key cybersecurity challenges that the feds face today. How are you working to address these challenges and working to mitigate the risk and the impact of threats uh, to the government and the government systems? So cybersecurity is one of the things where I I talk about the most with individuals, but I spend the most time on. Um, And it's one of the, the, the things when I talk about a privilege to serve our country, it's one of the things that we have to get right. Um, and needs a lot of attention and elevation. So we talked about technology modernization um, earlier and the fact that it is very difficult for us to protect older systems. And in fact, we've had to, um, in partnership with DHS, we've identified the highest value assets. That's one of the efforts that we've done across every single agency to make sure that we put our most intense focus in those areas and that that's our our priorities you know and our focus and so so there are strategic sets of efforts there's some things that i'll i'll actually call um blocking and tackling but mm-hmm. consistency in blocking and tackling so about um a fifth of our threats come from email yeah. right and so there's a human behavior element, mm-hmm. but there's also a technology modernization element. So that's why we're trying to get people to modern email and to cloud email to also build, you know, protocols, you know, around that and then support that with the human behavior side. But that's somewhat of a blocking and tackling. Some of the other things are, you know, areas where we have known patches and we have known threats in the industry. So when we talk about threat sharing and activity going on, ensuring that we're prioritizing those things. Um, across every one of the agencies uh, through the the FISMA guidance uh, that we have now, you know, been been putting out in multiple years, continue to raise the bar on how we know who's accessing our systems, you know, what we're doing, that we're reporting information into a central point, that we're ensuring that we're enabling uh, DHS's mission through ensuring that everyone is sharing information and we can look as an enterprise and address our risks. And at the agency level, um, I've already talked about workforce, but we have very specific activities around driving the consistency of what we expect our cyber professionals to do, to building and keeping our you know cyber professionals across all the federal agencies. And in some cases, um, increasing mobility so that we can move people between agencies sometimes that have different sets of experiences so that we're taking that same risk-based mindset and um, how we address the, the various needs of the team. It is also one of the areas where you saw in the National Cyber Strategy that we're making some commitments to leveraging more advanced technologies, both from an approach in how we protect ourselves and we make our ourselves more secure and we reduce our threat surface, but also in enabling our workforce for how we defend. We know and we expect that a large volume of some of the threat, external threats, are actually going to be coming from those same advanced technologies. So we have to know it to use it. We have to know it to fight it. So you bring up the workforce again. Obviously, it's one of the key elements of the management agenda, and it's particularly key in this idea, what I like to think of as sort of the war for talent and especially Mm -hmm. talent in the cybersecurity space. What are you guys doing or how are you thinking about recruiting and retention and reskilling differently as it relates to the cyber skills that you need in the government? What we realized is that to build the type of workforce that we need is actually going to take multiple different types of programs. So 
we're making investments in, and I'll use um, reskilling, reskilling federal employees that currently have aptitudes that lean towards um, cyber roles. And in the very near term, uh, we're actually going to be announcing one of those programs that the CIO Council is sponsoring. We're actually looking at individuals who demonstrate those aptitudes, um, taking them through some very dedicated uh, training support, and then having the opportunity to bring them into agencies, into the cyber workforce, and evaluate how well that program worked. And uh, our hope is that it's going to be very successful. It's been successful in other places. And then we'll be able to industrialize that and use that more broadly. We're obviously looking at recruiting. Um, we're doing lots of things for diversity of recruiting. You've seen many agencies actually talk about expanding their footprint and things like that so that we can get to talent everywhere. From the leadership perspective, we also have programs we're investing in building our next cyber leaders and that's a different set of programs also sponsored by the CIO Council. And we'll talk about the, or those will come out in the spring of next year. We are driving consistency of the role. I mentioned the um, CISO handbook, but it's really important if we want to be able to move individuals between agencies and we want common sets of activities that we expect the same thing of people in their roles. We define the roles the same way. We expect um, the skill sets that they bring are very similar. We're setting similar objectives. And then lastly, I'll, I'll put one whole group around um, personnel. You know, you in partnership with OPM and others, we're looking at ways that um, we can bring people in more quickly. We can help them move more quickly um, between and across agencies. In partnership with DHS, we're looking at what are those programs that help us build and retain and what are the tools that they want to make this an exciting environment to work in. How do we connect you know, more with the industry and build some depth in those spaces as well? And then you saw in the national cyber strategy, there was a commitment to ongoing examination of more market equivalent rewards. Mm -hmm. So so that is a really long answer if we're trying everything. We're looking <laughs> at, at, at all of the areas to get you know, new and emerging talent in, to develop our leaders, to keep people longer, to bring um, new people into the government, and then to create an environment that once they're here is really exciting and, want, and they want to stay. I'd like to transition a little bit to the data strategy, the federal data strategy. It's gotten to the point where it's even a, a cross-agency priority goal. Um, I believe the title is Leveraging Data as a Strategic Asset. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, what can you tell us about the strategy? What are some of the core elements? And, you know, related to the CAP goal, how are you using incubator projects? All right. That's a bunch of questions. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bunch of questions. So I'm going to start at the top with it was very important that we separated data as a, as a cross-cutting cap goal from the technology agenda so that we could bring the right discipline and focus to using data as a strategic asset. And so, so that was a, a really important um, kind of point of importance and definition of importance. And what we realized is that the way agencies think about data varies significantly. And even across the federal government, there are some that think of it as statistical. There's others that think, you know, that are looking for research. There are others outside. They're actually looking at data to power our economy. Mm -hmm. So there were many 
ways that people wanted to use data. But also as the federal government, it's incumbent upon us to protect the privacy and the security of that data. Um, it's coming from citizens. So we have certain sets of requirements that, you know, regardless of what the intended use and outcome are, we have obligations to uphold. So the data strategy was an intent to build a decade-long strategy, but informed with very tactical, near, not only near-term definitions and steps, but incubators and proof points so we can say, did we get it right? And so the first thing was to develop some kind of what I'll call North Star, some principles. And that tried to bring together why we could, the, all those different purposes. So why do we care? And what's important about how we think about data? And, and those are the North Star principles. Right now, out for review are what we call practices. So what are healthy activities that an agency and, and, and ways that an agency should think about how they use data, protect data, make data available, and think about data in their organization? And that spans everywhere from the operational use, the mission-serving use, and the statistical use, the external use. So, so the whole range of, I have data and what am I doing with it? And as we're going through those principles and practices, we have deeply engaged academia and the private sector. Unlike many of our other CAP goals, we've hold, held multiple events, um, both at the um, White House and with industry to get feedback. Um, we've had, you know, bipartisan engagement from Congress. We have looked, you know, at, with, had conversations with other countries, in fact, and what their data journey has looked like to build a very informed approach. We actually use a team of over 50 individuals that come across, come from all of the agencies to actually lead our work groups and run all the various work groups across the, the, the data initiative that are looking at things like privacy and security, um, taxonomy, yeah. um, sharing principles, commercialization, all those types of things. So we've got guiding principles. We've got practices that are out. We have a big collaborative group doing the real work, but we have to prove it. Yeah. And this decade-long strategy is a great thing, but we need to get some real proof points. And that's what the incubators are about, as well as some of um, the proof point cases. And the intent is that the data incubators are going to actually give some small funding for a bunch of ideas that serve mission and try to solve some of the most complex problems that we're working with across the government. It may be something like... Um, informed, you know, policymaking decisions, you know, examples of the opioid crisis, how do we better enable first responders um, in areas where we collaborate with state and local government? How do we make that, you know, an easier lift for state and local governments? There are many, many, many examples, as you might imagine. But the incubators, we're going to pick a few of those. There's a board that's doing review. There's, there's going to be an open call for submission. And we're going to give them some funding to actually create a prototype. And then after that session, we're going to look at the outcomes from that and actually look at some that we're going to give some more money mm -hmm. to scale um, to something bigger. And what we intend to do is prove the principles, the practices, and all those protocols that I talked about around use, privacy, you know, et cetera, and use those proof points to inform and continue to update. Mm -hmm. 
that's kind of what the cap goal is about. Absolutely. Um, So I like to transition a little bit into digital strategy, the use of mobile technologies, Mm -hmm. meeting the expectation of the 21st century citizen, if you will. Um, What's going on in that area? Multiple things. I'm going to start with one of your statements is in, and I've spoken with many of our agency development teams about this, is that the private sector has actually set the expectations for our public. The experiences that people have, whether they're getting a car or they're ordering a coffee or they're going to their bank or picking up groceries, those types of experiences have now defined what you can do online, Mm -hmm. the immediate completeness of feedback. So our citizens start with that kind of as a basic expectation now. As a federal government, when we ask them to fill out forms and we have extended wait times and we have places where we're unclear on what we're asking for and then weeks later they get something back that says, hey, wait, this was wrong. I meant this or this. That's just not acceptable. And actually, it's just shocking. You know, when I've gone out and held user groups and listened to it's shocking to them because they have that expectation. So what we've been doing with the agencies and one of the one of the cap goals is a, you know, customer experience digitization formal process. So what you you probably saw or many people saw is that the centers of excellence, one of the in the USDA, that was the focus of one of them. But what we want to do is industrialize that across the entire federal government and change the approach for how we develop and how we set our goals for development and customer service delivery. And to use that CAP goal is actually setting those pieces of guidance and the process around how we'll do it. Um, In some agencies, we're also supporting specific projects to build the agency skills to do that. So what does a customer product and service design team look like? How do you engage? What's the engagement model? It's very funny. Some of these didn't even have an engagement model. Talk to my customers? How do I talk to my customers? How do I talk to the citizens that I'm serving? And recently on Veterans Day, you saw the launch of the new you know, veterans website. That was an outcome from a set of examples like that. Going out and saying, how can we better serve you? What What's not working? How do we drive that? So we're driving through the front end, listening the intent and defining the purpose. Um, we also have to marry that with the tools and the capabilities to design in that environment, as well as business processes that, that support it. It's a much quicker, more agile type of environment. Those things it's kind of don't exactly fit all the time. And so um, we're now looking at how do we run the entire life cycle and smooth out adoption in the life cycle. We do not have challenges with customer adoption. Citizens are thrilled. Wow. And as we take paper away, citizens are thrilled. And we want to enable our team inside to have those same capabilities. So we've talked about data strategy. We've talked about digital or mobile strategy. Can we talk a little bit about your thinking around AI, whether it's artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence? For me, it kind of, it's an opportunity to wrap all those things together to really drive, you know, a better citizen experience, right? When you've got the insight that you can glean from all those data sources available through an AI capability, it really helps, I think, you drive the mission better. What's your thinking around AI? So I'm going to frame two pieces, and then I'm going to answer your question. So so when I look at 
automated technologies. I, I think about the whole suite of technologies where we can replicate or augment human decision-making to be more effective. So I include RPA. I include natural language processing. I include AI, include deep learning, all of those technologies that can help accelerate, you know, what a human in what they're doing or can actually address, you know, some more manual types of tasks. So if you say we're going to use all those technologies, on the other side, I look at the data. I talked about the data cap goal. I'm excited about it and I'm passionate about it. But uh, to others, many times what I'm most excited and passionate about is that it is the opportunity to lay the foundation for our future. Because the use of those automated technologies is the direction that we're going. And you can't, um, the analogy I use with actually talking to some of our um, congressmen, is like it, if you go straight to the technology without making the investment in the data, it's like having the fastest airplane in the world with no fuel. Mm. And on the data side, the experiences in the financial services space was that we sometimes ran towards the use of the technology and didn't think about what we were feeding it. So mm -hmm. there was some backtracking around ethical AI and, and data understanding data biases, understanding the control requirements of data, understanding how you look at model building and what are the what kind of monitoring goes around mm -hmm. those types of things. So when I look at those two things together, through pilots, CIO councils, and through guidance, we are making investments in how we use those advanced technologies in the federal environment. Um, the intelligence community, DOD, already have their set of statements. There's components of it in national cyber strategy. We're building some pieces um, with the federal agencies, kind of around guideposts, what I'll say. There's a select committee on AI that Administrator Cordova of NSF uh, and then OSTP chair together that bring together people who are looking at both um, from a government and how we continue to stimulate industry. So there's a lot of focus around the journey and how we move on that with the use of technologies. It's married side by side with our data investments. And on the data side, we're deeply connecting those to define what that set of taxonomies are, what things we need to keep inside government, what things we can make available, how do we monitor usage, how do we have kind of long-term use for more complex data sets, and then how do we start to create the right sustaining infrastructures for both uh, data quality, the model building, and then, like I said, the ongoing, you know, cleansing, ethics, um, and control type things that you have to have around use of these technologies. So it is incredibly exciting. And when I say the word control and innovation at the same time, <laughs> so I'm, right, that seems like two sides of the coin. Um, we're we're doing both of them at the same time, but the pilots and things that we're doing with some of the uses of technology are to make sure that, that we're getting both sides of the equation right. What are the characteristics of a successful chief information officer? We will ask the federal CIO, Suzette Kent, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. 
Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. How do you realize the promise of data-driven government? What do chief data officers actually do? How can they help government agencies use data to inform decision-making? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with Jane Wiseman, author of the IBM Center Report, Data-Driven Government, the Role of Chief Data Officers. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, Mondays at 11 a.m. on Federal News Network. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Suzette Kent, Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget. Also joining us from IBM is Lisa Muscola. I had a question around the role of the CIO. Given your background, the private sector background now as a, a federal leader in, in the IT community, what are the characteristics of a successful CIO, and how has the administration sought to enhance the effectiveness of a federal CIO at the agency level? That is a great question, and I, I will start with the very first thing, um, is that the executive order on CIO authority was, was the most clear indication mm-hmm. of what this administration expects of a CIO. They expect the CIO to sit at the table with the leader of the agency and be a mission enabler. Mm -hmm. So to be part of the conversation around how can technology better enable the mission and the vision of that particular agency. They expect a second thing, and this is kind of part of our OMB management and budget um, marriage. They expect the CIO to have visibility to all of the investments in technology that are going on across the agency and making sure that those things are aligned with the right priorities. And we have a risk-based approach. We have visibility. We know what we're doing. And it's aligned with the types of things um, that have been set as priorities. And then um, the third thing is they expect the CIOs to be building the workforce. And that's the reason some of the hiring authority um, mm-hmm. and that type of visibility was was also included in the executive order so that they're enabling mission. They have a, a, a broad scale view of the technology investments and how they're delivering. Um, they're empowering the workforce. And then um, I expect and Congress expects you know, part of my oversight role, part of, of what Congress expects is them to deliver on those expected outcomes. So from, you know, participating in a report out, you know, it process of and being transparent about not only um, what they've achieved, how well their projects are going um, and their how well they and their teams are delivering against that mission. I sometimes am fond of saying my crystal ball rolled under the couch. (laughs) If you had the crystal ball, what would you see as kind of the important challenges, issues in this space over the next couple of years for the federal government? Um, I've said multiple times and will not continue is pace. Um, it, It is a continuous challenge every single day to be effective in a cybersecurity space and to continue modernization. 
It, it is a never done, you know, kind of attitude. And on the government side, we've kind of been in a project attitude of we, we get something done and then it's done and we don't touch it again. And, and it lives out there. Um, that's not the type of environment that we're in. Um, the other piece is I in the in, in the crystal ball that I hope <laughs> um, it, it's that the agencies are much more focused and motivated by the citizens that they serve and they're held accountable to the expectations of those citizens. And um, another person asked me, what does success look like? And I said, if I bold it down to one thing, success looks like a satisfied citizen. Like, well, what, is, what does that mean? What's underneath that? That meant I used the right engagement and the right design principles um, for digital and service delivery for that citizen and developed a, a service or an offering that made sense and met their expectations. It also meant that I was a good steward of taxpayer money because the way it was done in, in, in alignment with you know what they are contributing makes sense. And then I've done it in a way that is secure and modern because I haven't compromised the data. Um, I haven't breached any trust, you know, with that citizen. And so continuing to move quickly, more focus on what we're delivering for citizens. Um, and then, you know, being, you know, kind of personal around the things that we do on the OFCIO side, making sure that the policy stays current and we're leveraging, you know, commercially available solutions, the best of what's in the market. Um, and we continue an engagement model that continues to raise the bar. Before we go, I'd like to get your advice. What advice would you give someone who is thinking about a career in public service? I'd start with do it. We're mm -hmm. recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it is a phenomenal opportunity to serve. Um, I would also say pick an area where you're really passionate. I think the best and the most exciting thing that I see when I go and talk to the agencies is when the individuals are personally tied to the mission that agency is serving, whether it's feeding um, or creating jobs or educating or defending our nation um, or exploring space. When they're personally committed the um, some of the the daily trials and tribulations matter less, and they find a way around them. And those are the people who are also most insightful back to the customer and the citizen that we're serving. They're most insightful about how we deliver on mission and how we actually delight um, that set of citizens because they they care about it. Great. Well, thanks for coming in today. But more importantly, Lisa and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, conversation with Suzette Kent, Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget. My co-host from IBM has been Lisa Muscolo. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.